You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffiefordlincoln. This episode is brought to you by Hope is Alive. Hope is Alive exists to radically change the lives of drug addicts, alcoholics, and those who love them. Join us Saturday, September 30th for our sobriety sprint 5K as we remember, honor, and celebrate those who've lost their lives. This family-focused event will feature a one-mile fun run, inflatables, food trucks, and more. Register to run or honor a loved one at sobrietysprint.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike and here, host, back with another episode. Uh, got a photography episode for you today and a fellow person from the UK, which I love. So we, you're going to get a lot of accents in today's episode. Uh, gives me great pleasure to welcome to the podcast photographer, Mr. Paul Smith. Thanks for coming down. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Mike. Nice yeah, to be here. definitely. Uh, so... I mean, you're from Sunderland back in the UK. Yep. Are you a Sunderland fan or are you a Newcastle fan? I'm uh, neither, to okay. be honest. I never quite got into the whole soccer scene. But yeah. <laughs> well, for what rugby teams are up there? You into rugby as well? Um, I used to play a lot, but yeah. once again, just uh, never, never really. Is it league in uh, in the north over Union? Um. Oh, oh man, you're going back. Up. We're going back 35 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even think. <laughs> but uh, grew up in Sunderland then? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, I mean, tell me about growing up in Sunderland. What's, for people listening that are in Oklahoma, they have no idea where Sunderland is. So. Yeah, yeah. So Sunderland is a little, um, it's, a, it's a little shipbuilding town in, on the northeast coast of England. So um, it's very um, down-to-earth place. Uh it's it's a it, it was a, it was a really nice place to grow up. Like you can drive for 20, 25 minutes and kind of be out in some of the nice countryside. And there's lots of history around there. Um, as you know, like back back in the UK, you can you're just tripping over castles and cathedrals and stuff. Yeah. So spoiled. Uh, yeah, there's there's lots of really neat stuff. Um, the the only thing it was really short of is uh, dark night skies, just because it's so populated and um, so um, 
yeah, it's it, it, it's a it was a it was a really nice place to uh, I guess grow up. <laughs> Do you have uh, family, brothers, and sisters back home? Like, we how and how long were you? Growing, how long were you back home before you made the switch to come to the states? Yeah, every everybody's there. Basically, I got a brother and sister, and my my mom and dad are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually left in two thousand, just on a student work visa, and I went to Canada. It was kind of like an exchange program for mm-hmm. post grads, and so I went to Canada, and it was only meant to be for six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I went with eight hundred dollars in my account. And I went to Canada, to Calgary. I was going to make my fortune as a bartender in Banff. It was like, I had all these grandiose ideas of fun right. things to do as a 20-year-old, right? And, um, and so I went to Canada and uh, kind of ran out of money very, very quickly. And the bartending scene wasn't really very hot. I kind of found some jobs for $5 now, which obviously weren't going to cut it. And um, yeah, did, do, moved around like youth hostels just because I couldn't afford anything else with my friend. We just kind of moved around the youth hostels. And then we bumped into a bunch of guys who were in the oil and gas industry, which was really booming back then in 2000. Um, and they said, hey, just uh, we can get you out of work probably next week. It's always, we always need people. This is like, like labor, right? Like uh, yeah. real down to the ground labor type work where you're hiking through the woods and moving equipment around all day for 14 hours a day, 30 days in a row kind of thing. And so, yeah, I fell into that oil and gas work there, started off as a laborer and from uh, my time in the youth hostels in Canada. (laughs) And, you know, they paid for travel. When you're in oil and gas, they paid for you to travel. I traveled all over Canada on the company's dime kind of thing. I got to see Quebec and the Northwest Territories. I went north of the Arctic Circle one winter. It was just um, a really, really cool experience. Wow. Yeah, for a guy from Sunderland, it was like I was doing a lot of traveling, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it's beautiful up there, isn't it? Mm-hmm, gorgeous. Yeah, so you went, you, you kind of graduate uni back home and then you go to Canada. What was your degree in uni? Uh, it was biomedical science. Oh, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. So pretty switched on as a kid growing up then. Yes, yes, sort of. I mean, I haven't used it since. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, I, I originally wanted to be a, a vet, okay. a veterinarian. And so that was the direction to take at the time. And yeah. that's the piece of paper I ended up with. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at the time, you just think, you know, we go to Canada on a student visa or work visa and just kind of have a bit of a gap year, have some time off before you decide to, you know, and then obviously you bump into the oil, oil and gas guys and. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, I mean, Canada was always, I don't know, was always in my blood. Just, I, I always had the picture books of the mm-hmm. big, the big, the green trees, the evergreens, and the mountains and stuff. And I just, um, it, it's, I don't know, it was always in my blood for some reason from a very early age. So yeah. it was almost like uh, it was meant to be that I was yeah. going to go there, um, and then. Um, yeah, and then I, I met my wife online, and we uh, she came up there and tried to win her out and said, no, I'm not going to do a winner. So <laughs> uh, I tried out Oklahoma, and yeah. obviously the winners here are a lot more mild. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and so we ended up here after okay. all that, yeah. Yeah, so what happened to your friend you were traveling with? Did they kind of get a job and, as well, or did they uh, go back home? 
Yeah, he, he's actually doing really well. He lives in Saskatchewan. Yeah. So, yeah, he's so doing like very Canada. good. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's much easier for us, isn't it? Like, come from the UK to go to Canada and get a visa than it is to come to the States, especially it, it, working as well. It is, yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Absolutely. So I have a buddy of mine in high school. He's in Vancouver now, and same thing. He, you know, work visa was a lot easier to get than the work visa for the States. Is that right? Yeah. But yeah. Pretty close. Yeah. So, so when does, I guess, you talk about getting, you know, knowing that Canada was pretty and having books and stuff and seeing pictures was photography on the mind early on or was that something that's come later? It was, it always was. I never had a very good camera, but I always had something. It seems yeah. <laughs> now I look back, I actually, I was just looking the other day, I was showing my son a bunch of like, used to have disposable cameras earlier on. And I still got a bunch of those pictures at home in a shoebox. Uh, in in the, I mean, you take a disposable camera picture of uh, a mountain scene and it's kind of, yeah. you know, it doesn't look very good. It's not the same scene in person, right? Yeah, there's not much you can do with it. But um, so, I mean, yeah, it was always, it was always, I guess, in me. Uh, and then I had, I invested in, well, cause the, the, the whole Canada story was pretty exciting. And, and yeah. I'm like, uh, so I wanted to show the folks at home. So I invested in, uh, uh, like a Hyatt video camera. I don't know if you remember those. It took yeah, those yeah. little tips, you know? And so I have like 50 of those tips yeah. sitting at home right now too. I need to convert to digital, but awesome. um, yeah, it's like, you know, before the days of cell phones uh, and, and having a video camera on your cell phone right. and all that stuff. I mean, that, uh, being able to record stuff was pretty novel back then. Yeah. How long were you there before you moved to Oklahoma? Um, I, well, I met my wife, I guess 2007 is when I kind of moved to Oklahoma. So was, I was there for seven years. Yeah. yeah. 2000 to 2007. And then I made the full move to Oklahoma in 2009. Okay. And, and I still commuted to Canada for work for uh, right up until about 2019 here. And then, oh, wow. um, the oil and gas work just kind of, the bottom fell out. So I had a make moves <laughs> yeah what so you just progressed through the company from like I said lugging stuff around as a 20 year old just you know with all the energy in the world and being in the mountains to being there for quite you know well, almost 20 years yeah yeah it's wow. it, it's like a very um, it's very high ceiling if you if you've got the yeah. work ethic and then yeah so I moved I moved through the laborer side of it into survey into GIS mapping and then when I left, I was like a self-employed supervisor. So I was supervising big crews and yeah. doing the mapping and almost running an entire um, job yeah. myself and organizing the crews and stuff. So it was, it was really fun. It was a good challenge. Yeah. And it had, it's, it's like if you could, the, the thing I really liked about it is I was, it, when you get more, when you get better at it, it's getting more efficient. It, it, I, my, my days were a lot shorter, so I could actually do some photography at night. And because um, you're, you're you're gone, you're physically gone into a camp or a town for like 30, 40 days, and you're there obviously all all day and all night. But if you're if you do your work, then the rest of the night is yeah. is your own kind of thing. So that's that that worked out good for my photography sure, yeah. you know yeah because i guess you know you've got to be there right and as i said as you progress you have you know you're managing so unless you know 
you've got like a disaster or something needs your attention you're just kind of there because you have to be there and then you know you obviously got a passion for photography so you kind of fill your time with the beautiful scenery that you're around exactly yeah you got it yeah, yeah. well that's really cool and I, I mean that's to commute up until 2019 I mean that's just a month at a time like you go up there 34 days and then or did that kind of lessen as well I would generally drive up mid-September to drive up there yeah how was that long <laughs> it's like two and a half days usually yeah um just so to have a vehicle up there so you could drive around yeah exactly okay. i'd have to have my vehicle and a forerunner uh four-wheeler sorry yeah. and all my um just all my equipment i had big plotters big printers to use you know because i had to print off my maps for people and stuff so i had a lot of gear like i had a jeep that i'd, I'd be sitting in the driver's seat and this was just gear. I couldn't see out that window and the whole back is just full of my gear, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I would drive up mid-September and then just fly home every 40 days or something and then drive the Jeep back down, you know, April, late, late April, early May kind of thing. Yeah. And then, because it's seasonal, you can only you can only do the work when the ground is frozen there. Sure. So it's generally September through April and then the rest of the time, um, I would be back in Oklahoma. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been back to visit since you stopped working up there? I haven't, no. Uh, you miss it? I do, yeah. yeah. I can see why. I mean, I haven't been up there. I've just seen photos and, you know, friends who, uh, I was with a couple of guys last week. They have a, a fishing resort on Vancouver Island. Mm. And they're like, you got to come up. You know, like it's, they have like two fishing resorts, a north and a south. One is like, kind of on the boat fishing the other one is hella fishing so I met the pilot and the guy who runs the resort and he's like you gotta come up like we'll do you a killer deal like killer deal is still $2,200 a day but it's like yeah. you know you're, <laughs> you kind of hold it on the, some of the videos of the, the guys on the boat so like holding up fish or throwing fish in the air and the eagles are coming down and take it's wild stuff wow. or like you're in a helicopter and it's just like oh there's no fish here let's just jump in and fly somewhere else yeah uh, but yeah it's I don't know it's my buddy who's in Vancouver right now, he said it's just the best place in the world. He loves to ski, you got the beach and everything too. He's like, well, more can I ever want, especially coming from Wales. Yes, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's grim and dark in the winter at four o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, I gotta get up there for sure. It, it's a um, fabulous place for sure. Definitely, definitely. And like, what I found is uh, a lot of people are attracted to like the big areas like Vancouver, but if you get even just out of those areas, <clears throat> you can save some money. And you can just find beautiful, you know, right. um, beautiful spots just in the middle of nowhere. And yeah. if, if you're a fisherman, like the fly fishing, I used to fly fish all the time. And it's just, just magic. Yeah. <laughs> just I'm not into that, but I, I've said, if I'm going there, I can get into it. Right. It's like, oh yeah. You know, it's like going, um, kind of deep sea fishing. Like you could never fish for the rest of your life. You've done something that like most people don't get to do. So yes, yes I'm going to yeah. go do it. Bucket list stuff. So uh, you meet your wife and then you said kind of 07 to 09, you kind of in the, you make the decision to come to back, you know, to move to Oklahoma in 09. What's the first time coming to Oklahoma like and what time of year was it? Oh gosh, we're going back, huh? We came, so my wife lived over in Kingfisher at the time. So yeah. for the longest time, I was just flying into Oklahoma City and then Driving we would Kingfisher. Yeah. drive. So that's all I saw of Oklahoma for yeah. probably a year. I'm like, this, there's no trees, <laughs> it's flat, it's nothing <laughs> like where I just came from. And um, yeah. so, I mean, I liked, I love the weather and, right. uh, you know, the warmth and everything and, and the sun and the, just getting a tan just mm -hmm. 
being outside, yeah. you know, like this is for a pasty white Brit. This was something right. I, I wasn't used to. And um, so I loved all that. She lived in Kingfisher. Uh, like I said, it was flat and featureless, but it was still like it had this it had this charm. I mean, I'd, I'd never seen anything like that before, honestly. I mean, even in Canada, working on the, I, I guess the closest you could say it was in Saskatchewan, but um, and then uh, yeah, she's so we, we uh, and then when we when it, when when she came to Canada and she's like. Uh, I, I really don't think I could live this. I love it, but this, these winters are something else. And she's like, I miss my son. Yeah. So I said, well, we should probably seriously look at um, where we're going to live in Oklahoma. And and then I started to look a lot more closely and I see, well, there's, there's, there's trees there. Can we check out some of these areas? And what do you think about here? And, you know, like, you get those tree, once you get east of I-35, you got trees, yeah. <laughs> just solid trees, essentially. And I'm like, so maybe we could just live in the transition zone somewhere. <laughs> so we just started looking up and down I-35 at where to live. And we ended up, um, my wife was um, very into uh, Edmund. And, yeah. and so that's kind of where we, where we wound up. We focused on and mm -hmm. found a place there. Nice. Yeah, she was going to University of Norman for a while, so we were renting in Norman and kind of driving every Sunday to look at houses up in yeah. in Edmond. And um, I just loved the the whole idea of <clears throat> having a little lot with trees and stuff like that. Because as as much as I love Canada, like having something like that was very very out of my reach financially <laughs> yeah so in Oklahoma it's actually something that was achievable yeah it's it's pretty attainable here isn't it like yes the yeah. value is you know and I, my day job's in the real estate world so like oh. I, I totally get what you're saying like it's and I don't think people realize still the amount of trees and opportunity and great land there is east of I-35 mm. it just has a mental block they're like I don't want to go over there I want to live over there and even if you get up to Arcadia and you know East Edmond or whatever it is like you know, people like get tied that, you know, some people, for example, like, oh, it's an extra five minutes to work. Who cares? Like, you you got beautiful views and you don't, you know. Anyway, that's, I, I don't have to get into some of the battles I have with my day job, but some of that <laughs> is that. Um, but yeah, it's, it can be painful. So 2019, you, you kind of stop going to Canada, basically. You kind of get a job in the same industry or do you, you mentioned the oil field kind of bottom falls out. Do you just pivot and go somewhere else? Yeah, I, I looked around for a while, and there's really um, it, it wasn't working out. So um, I made some. I started to think of well, what can I do at, at, at my age mm -hmm. uh, that is going to afford me some extra time so I can pursue photography as well, and hopefully both things take off. Whatever else I choose, yeah. and photography, they can both yeah. take off at the same time. So I, I decided to go back to college and get a and then go for um, like a nursing degree. Oh wow, yeah. And because um, it's very that's what my wife is. She's uh -huh. a nurse, and it's super flexible time scheduling and everything else. And really, you can you can. Um, work anywhere and they're highly in need and it's you know yeah um so that's that's the kind of direction i went so i've been in school i just kind of got out and um nice. deal, uh, kind of dealing with all that right now yeah, getting my yeah. board certification and then cool um 
because there's kind of limited options when you get to a certain age if you change directions or yeah. <laughs> just but you're right though it's still kind of fun to have that flexibility and also you know i mean a lot of people would you know at, at kind of your your age or your your kind of career they would be like oh well I, I do this like this is all i've ever done i do this why go back to school let me just find something that's around that yes but obviously you know you had your non-negotiables you're like hey i need to find time to do photography too like and and not worried about going back to school and yeah yeah well it's like uh, i had a very very um what i did in canada was a very very specific job okay. that's really doesn't translate down to Oklahoma either I mean the the way they operate oil and gas operations here is a lot different than up there okay and so I was having a lot of uh, I was having a lot of difficulty finding that uh, sure. connection and and then just the oil and gas industry in in, in general kind of just just the, the especially the exploration which is where I had all my experience just just wasn't uh it wasn't busy anymore that was yeah. it it just kind of slowed right down yeah um and so yeah i i you know i like my photography i was thinking well you know i could uh maybe do uh try and do headshots and stuff that's very saturated uh, i tried that for a while I, I tried a whole different bunch of things and just kind of i had to make a decision at one point like i i gotta do something direct and so that's when i decided just to start start college i'm like i gotta right. gotta get moving on something new here yeah so the photographer obviously you through this kind of period you've always had a passion for photography you're taking photos and you're doing landscape stuff and you're doing kind of dark night photography already in canada and then you come down here and you're like trying to figure out what to do do i can i build a business around photography when do you start storm chasing against the storm photography side of things oh wow it was just like uh Right away, I mean. So you were very aware of it when you came to Oklahoma. You're like, I can jump in the car and go chase storms. No, no, I was. Uh, I'd say when it first clicked is when we went camping. We went camping down in um, uh, by uh, uh, down down in southern Oklahoma. There, we, mm -hmm. we went camping, and I had my my camera gear with me. And this storm popped up at like eleven o'clock at night, and. I just sat outside of our little camp uh, cabin and I, I was just, I didn't know what I was doing really. I just knew I had to be in focus. So I made sure I was in focus and I just kept taking shots of this storm. And when I started to see what was on the back of the camera, like that is just, it was just phenomenal. It was a big crispy updraft with the stars behind. And then every once in a while there was lightning licking out of it. and. It's like wow, this is this is really 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 cool, and um, so I'm like, I got I got to do more of this, and then I just uh, really after that, it was just I, I I didn't forecast, I didn't look at anything really. It was just uh, when the opportunity arose, I would go and take pictures of trying to get pictures of lightning and storms, and then with social media started posting and and then you kind of people comment you oh, meet yeah. people you, you get to just look at their profiles and then profile profile and then after a while i realized there's a whole community based around this like a really really cool inviting community where people uh share ideas and share pictures and share you know forecasting tips and everything else and so 
through social media, I did start to follow a bunch of people, and yeah. and then I kind of learned actually a lot through Michael uh, Sager mm-hmm, yeah. uh, how to do uh, some better forecasting and get my skills up there, and and from there it was just kind of. It just it just snowballed. It's yeah. <laughs> it's like you once you know what you can get, you do not want to miss out on get, getting okay. that when the opportunity arises. Yeah. So the the deeper you get into it, the deeper you get into it. If you know what I mean. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, Michael saying previously on the podcast for people listening that might not listen to that one yet, um, he's a weatherman in Tulsa and obviously loves photography. And you know, if you've got someone like that in your community that knows what they're talking about with weather, that helps tremendously. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean. Just all these professionals, it's just it's just incredible. Yeah. Uh, and, and everybody's so open and there's yeah, it's uh it's a great community. Mm-hmm. A lot a very lots of knowledge kicking around, lots of Yeah. Uh, Do you have any favorite chase stories? Oh goodness. Uh, I think the the one that pops into mind most recently was um, I had a I was doing a little workshop uh, with a with a guest and we were up in Wyoming, and so I, I know we haven't talked about it yet, but the main focus of my workshops is the red sprites, the yes. night sky uh-huh. photography yeah. and stuff like that. But uh, I, I will, if the opportunity arises, and it's not too far away from our original plan, Get on. I, I will try and get onto other storms, sure, like daytime storms. And so I saw this opportunity for, there was a big tornado, watch uh out in wyoming kind of close to where i wanted to set up for the night so i i I said to him like hey we should i kind of want to hang around i want to get up into this area during the day and i I think it's going to be a good day but so anyways we uh we went about 90 minutes out of our way and sat in this area and sure enough like uh turned into there was a storm that paralleled a road we were on so um, and it produced like three or four tornadoes and it had some beautiful structure. We, we saw everything from beautiful momentous clouds to uh, huge tornadoes to um, beautiful supercell structure and everything else. And it was he, he, his first time seeing a tornado. And I think that was probably one of my favorite moments was his reaction to that (laughs) and uh that kind of took me back to my first time and everything else and it's just like it's just yeah it's just weather uh every 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 storm is different every tornado is different every sprite is different every night is different it's like um you never get tired of it It just it just pumps you full of that first time energy every time at least it does for me so that's my most recent best storm chairs I think uh, was that one so do you do a lot of uh, when you can uh, do a lot of kind of workshop stuff with, with guys who want to get into photography girls who want to get into photography on the road and just travel with you and okay like kind of you know obviously it's part of, it can be part of the business too right yeah yeah I've, I've, I'm mostly focusing on the red sprites just yeah. because it's so unique and I'm kind of the only person offering that and yeah. so I figure that's a good place to go and it's something I know inside and out um and the, the, it, it's, the, the storm, there's a lot of storm chasing uh, tour groups out there mm-hmm. already, so I yeah. didn't kind of want to compete with right. 
uh, my idea was just to kind of focus in on one area and make it something that I'm really good at. And uh, yeah, so I offer I offer workshops. I've had many successful uh, workshops right now. So tell me about the red stripes then. The the red sprites. What's that all about? So the red sprites are essentially like a mini aurora above a storm. It's okay. a really brief flash, but it's it's where the upper atmosphere gets excited into this into these crazy ships, all different kinds of ships and sizes, uh, and they flash red. Uh, and it's almost like the process of the aurora where the atmosphere is getting excited for in the case of a red sprite, a brief moment in time. Yeah. So it's it kind of tied in to chase red sprites for me is kind of, it kind of tied in with my whole enjoying storm chasing and my night sky experience bringing down from shooting northern lights in Canada and whatever else. Um, so yeah, it's been a really fun process kind of figuring them out and re, uh, really there isn't they, they aren't that well known uh, so really to get most information from them you've got to you've got to get into actual scientific journals and kind of read through them and flick through them and decipher all that fancy scientific lingo yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and try and translate it into the real world and figure out where where I can shoot them and how, how I can shoot them so it's been a fun a fun kind of process and yeah uh, very rewarding, extremely rewarding. What have you kind of found out then about that? Like from, you know, and it's obviously it's quite an unknown, most people, can you see them, you say for a brief moment, do they just come up on camera or can you see them in person as well? Like for a brief moment? You can see them, uh, yeah, you can see them with your eyes, yeah. If you're in dark enough skies um, and your eyes are night adjusted, sure. you haven't been looking at your phone, right? And you, you, you're looking in pretty much the right spot like it might only they might only fill a small box like the size of your fist in the sky so if you're not looking yeah. right at it you might not even yeah. see it yeah. um, and it's so fast that that's the main reason you, you people the, the most commonly asked question is like I've never seen this before this is fake it must be fake how, how have I not seen this before well it's super fast right like yeah. it's um you 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 wouldn't unless you were looking right for it you wouldn't see something right. that transient so um but when you do when you're looking right at it and you're and you and your your eyes are adjusted it's very they're very yeah obvious and what is there anything that's kind of like surprised you from researching it and and because there's is there some spiritual things towards it as well from certain like communities that think it's spiritual or like is there anything that's just popped out? Like, I mean, it's not just like red jellyfish in the sky. Like, it looks incredible, but there's, I'm sure people take different meanings for different things too. Yeah. I don't know. There's some things I've been interested in is like looking at some of these cave paintings that mm -hmm. you see around. Like, what what were they trying to tell us back then? Sure. Could could this have been that? And I mean, you you, you do kind of try to try to fit fit the puzzle together as best you, you with try to make it like the um, you, you go out with an intent of connecting red sprites to cave paintings you're going to be able to make that connection you know yeah. what I mean but yeah, yeah, yeah. at the end of the day who's who's to say what what was going on but I mean I, I just think now I've seen so many I think I, I think if 
ancient man sitting on the sitting on the plains, no light pollution. And I, I and you just know they were fascinated with storms and weather and stuff, right? Yeah. So they were probably sitting watching storms in the distance. They had to have seen them, yeah. had to have seen them. So I just, it just makes me uh, the one thing that I think is how how I mean they were only really discovered in 1989 okay. when they were captured on camera. Um, so I just think of all that time before that, all that eyes that have seen them. Uh, how how was it communicated? How do, how did it not become common? How did it not become common knowledge until 1989? That's 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 a fascinating thing to me. <laughs> yeah, well, and the places that you're at, like you're in the middle of nowhere, right? Like it's, you know, there's you're for the most part, obviously, to be in the middle of nowhere, you don't have light pollution, so clear skies, middle of nowhere, and you just have that moment. And you're like, for thousands of years, people have probably seen these. Right. Yeah. And now only since 1989, we have seen these because it's been cool on camera. But like, yes, I mean, this they're a pretty powerful moment to be out there. Right. And you just even if you're with someone on your own, you're like, this is really freaking cool. Yeah. <laughs> I had my first workshop guest when he first saw one with his eyes. He uh, he cursed. And then he said, um, I came here. Because I didn't believe you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, thanks. He's like, no, but I really didn't believe you. But like, he's like, this is wild. He's like, how have we not? How how do people not know about it? I'm like, well, I don't know. It, it, it's weird. It's kind of weird that some it's something so fast, and if you're not looking for it, maybe you're it, because it's so fast, your brain doesn't put two and two together that it is something other than a flash in the sky. If that makes sense, and so you need to have that whole, that flash in the sky is this, so that now when you see that flash in the sky, you know what it is. I, I don't know if that makes yeah, sense, that makes but sense. it's like, yeah, um, yeah it's, it, it's, it's, it's very, very, very cool. Yeah. And in, in, you know, uh, in Oklahoma, we, most people live in light polluted areas. So yeah, we see storms and stuff, but to actually see the dark night sky is something that's very uncommon for, the average person in Oklahoma, you know, driving from Oklahoma City to wherever at night, or uh, once you get east of I-35, there are trees and there's a lot more light pollution because there's a lot more people. Um, so it, I, I just don't think it's something that people have the opportunity to see anymore with all the light pollution. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Like we just, we, people growing up now are just not aware of it. Yeah. Right? Like they just, oh yeah, I, I sometimes see stars in the sky and that's it. You know, they don't think about you know, whenever do they go into the middle of the countryside, look up and be like, wow, we actually have a pretty epic solar system. And yeah. It's really cool to, unless you're in the photography world, like you don't do that. Yes. So it's kind of sad, really. Yeah, even like the Milky Way, like there's so many people who haven't seen, like a, a lot of times I'll post pictures of the Milky Way and people are like, I've never seen that in my life. <laughs> like, well, you got to kind of, yeah. you might have to drive, a lot of people have to drive. But I think like, if you, if you live in the Eastern US, you got to drive a lot further. Yeah. Like we, we're just kind of on that transition zone where we, it gets a lot darker to the west of where we are just in general over the whole of the States, but yeah. to the east of us, it's, there's a lot of light pollution. Yeah, that's unfortunate for them, for sure. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned social media and posting a little bit. Uh, social media, yours has kind of rocketed, right? Over mm -hmm. the last couple of years and, and obviously a huge help to the business and prints. And I was looking through your link tree, it says, buy me a coffee. Do people ever buy you coffee? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, uh, I need to add that to mine. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, you have a couple of, 
things you can do now, right? There's Patreon yeah, and yeah. this and this is just another kind of version of that. And really I I, I set that up as a means to because I'm involved in a with the sprites I'm involved in a lot of citizen science uh, projects where I, I, I share my my, my findings, my research uh, with scientists. And so it's kind of, it, it, it is actually, there's a lot of kind of actually groundbreaking stuff coming up from this, uh, where the stuff that hasn't been witnessed in the upper atmosphere before that I've I've caught on film and uh, we're, we're busy analyzing it. So there's a, um, there is a citizen science aspect to it, but the the unfortunate side of that is it's not citizen science has not appeared. Yeah. <laughs> There's no uh, citizen science fund, unfortunately. So I I really wanted to people people get really interested in the science side of it. My YouTube channel, I get lots of comments, people uh, questioning it, and they have their input into the science of it. So I thought it would be a good, to set up the buy me a coffee would be a good way for people to kind of help fund the citizen science, you know, help me put some gas in the tank, help me with, because I go through, my, my gear gets broken a lot. <laughs> I was going to say the other question is how many miles are on the car right Oh now? my goodness. Yeah. It, it, and it, it's, you know, there's a lot of wear and tear on gear and stuff. Right. So... Uh, I, I know people. Some people understand the challenges, but many people don't. So I just kind of put it out there with the buy me a coffee. That you know, yeah. if you can support, that would be that would really help. And you're actually helping with real science discovery, right? As well as yeah. you know, seeing pretty pictures on my Instagram account. There is some science yeah. behind this that's actually helping us. I mean, it might help help us understand some some of the climatology and um things like that that's going on right now um what's the youtube channel it's it's just all it's all my paul m smith photography okay. handle yeah i'll look it up yeah yeah i mean it's such a great way to get you know and obviously it's free right other yes than, i mean posting content's free other than you traveling spending money on gas and cars and all the other stuff that like the wear and tear of camera gear and all the other stuff but like you know, it's it's such a great kind of uh, platform to use. You know, and if you can kind of unlock that and make a little bit of money out of it, then it just funds the hobby, right? Like, yeah. That's kind of why I started mine. Was like, you know, it's the whole goal at the start was like it's going to fund. You know, I'm, I'm a golfer. Right? It's going to fund me to play golf. It's going to fund maybe a car, a second car one day. Who knows? There you go. Um, you know, and then <laughs> it just keeps going, and you're just like, how have we got here? Right? It starts yeah. from one little idea, and then you know you're closing in on a hundred thousand subscribers, hundred thousand followers on on Instagram, mm -hmm. which you know some people, kids growing up now, dream of that. Yeah. Right. Which is kind of it, it's fun, but it's also kind of sad in a way. Um, but you know, when you use that for good, right, and use it for science, or you use it for you know showing off these epic things that a lot of people don't get to see like it's it's pretty freaking awesome yeah and it's like i mean it's a, we're in a content driven world right mm -hmm. and it's all all these different like as of right now there's there's no real way to monetize um effectively sure. on the on these channels so people think like I got, I got friends who are close to a million followers on Instagram and they're like, we don't make any money, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, man, but you're so, you're such an important part of Instagram, you know, like that's kind of crazy that you don't get anything for that. And yeah. 
you have these symbiotic relationships with these platforms where, yeah, they're a platform for you, but also without you, they wouldn't be a platform. You know what I mean? So I, I almost feel like, you know, I, I wish there was some kind of monetization um, to, for having your content on there, whether it's, you know, a great podcast or pretty pictures or whatever, but yeah. we're just not there yet. I mean, they've tried, Instagram tried it. I was doing pretty good on the reels for a little while. And then when I was going to have my best month ever for real for monetized reels, they shut it down. Because uh, <laughs> so. you had a, was there one or two had like over a million million views, yeah. right? Like they were kind of really popping off, and the, um, I reshared a bunch of them. Like they, you know, they they did great. They do great. It's just like yeah, how good. do you monetize that, right? How do you the, how the do you drive them clips. to yeah? How do you yeah. drive them to uh, a link that says you know buy me a coffee or pay for a get tank gas or support whatever it is like that's kind of it's trying to figure out that right but like I said we're a content driven world and everyone's just flicking through so fast yeah. that it's hard to get them to stop and be like oh wow like I, how do I support this person until they probably follow you for a long time yeah it's uh, it's, it's, it's it's a challenge but it's it's you know what it, it, even besides the monetization it's still fun and yeah. it's, it's fun to interact with people and it's it's really I, I've had some amazing made some amazing contacts through it. I mean, I, some of the people I talk to now, I, I don't think there was ever in history before social media there wouldn't have been a direct path for me to be able to talk to some of the people I'm talking to on a regular basis now. You know, so I mean, that's pretty amazing in itself. Yeah. Um, so it's. Yeah, if I can make make some money, that's that's what I'm going to try and do. It, it, I got some good friends that make money in content, and you know the best advice I got is just don't focus on one thing. You've got to try and do it all. Just pull in little pieces here and there from everywhere. So yeah. that's kind of where I'm at the point of my growth. I'm trying to do that, right. get, get as much as I can from anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's really the fun gas and gear. Well, yeah, I mean, right. Goodness. At the end of the day, this is a hobby for you, right? Like you, well, you're, you know, you have a day job, or you will have a day job soon. Yeah. You know, like you, you it's, um, you know, it's not something that it'll be great to just do this for the rest of your life. And maybe that one day that does happen. But mm -hmm. for right now, it's like, no, I just need to fund some gear and, and gas. And, yeah. You know, like <laughs> an old change and maybe a new set of tires. Every now and then. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, tell me about your gear. If you, I mean, you can, you don't have to nerd out on it or you don't mm -hmm. have to dive into it too much if you don't want to. But I mean, do you use a local camera store here as well? No, I have. I, I'm, man, I, I just, uh, my th I'm, I'm thrifty, cheap. Okay. Yeah. So I, I pretty much everything I had is, have is secondhand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's people listening to this are thinking I mean that's great because they don't want to go out because they see some people doing photography and they're like my entire setup cost me $20,000 and they're yeah. like what like I don't do that but it's good to know that you can you know yeah. the stuff that you do and the quality of the work you do comes from being thrifty and getting second-hand cameras yeah like a, lo a lot of my original cameras uh, well my, my original full-frame camera is still clicking right now so that's what a lot of my time lapses yeah, are from, yeah. from oh geez seven years ago now seven-year-old yeah. cameras and gear so um yeah, I'm, I'm just as thrifty as possible. Uh, in in I get cameras and lenses when I see good deals, and I have a hard time parting with them. So I kind of right. have a big collection yeah. of stuff that I should be probably downsizing. What well, stuff's in the toolbox, right? You look yeah. at it like this is my toolbox. Yeah, 
and then if you did get rid of it you know you know you're gonna have needed it for the next week right have you thought about like trying to connect with local camera stores and people and i mean because of your following now i assume it'd be great to have you know have a brand ambassador of something yeah that might be a good idea Um, just something to help at least with cost or even if you get like for me like this camera so i work with bedford's camera in town okay and got connected to them through matt Payne, who's a travel photographer um and does stuff with the movies now but um like i I just get free rentals so this whole camera setup that i use shout out to bedford's camera um because they're awesome so I'll connect you later um, oh, that's great. because Eric that is great the whole team Eric Martin Christian like they're they're camera guys right they get it and they do everything so it mm-hmm. would make sense that you know someone who has a big following like has a partner that's you know it's not like you're selling um, you know something that's totally different or, or yeah. kind of um, you know you're a brand ambassador for something you, you would use every day or even if it's a tripod or gear like it's still right, right, a right. backpack or whatever it is like it's all photography related so yeah, true it enough. seems like a no brainer and help you save some money as well it all helps man it all helps maybe then you can get a you know what is it like um, some of the storm chasers like Val Castor you know he got a truck and a roofing contact and all the other stuff like just finding stuff that's within your kind of realm that you're like it would make sense to do a partnership even if it's just product right like it yeah. saves a ton of money yeah it's a, it's a whole side to like the like photography, yeah, I think you're right. The most successful people are the ones who also know have a business sense of it, right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so I'm more of the creative type. Yeah. I spend a ton of time getting the image, getting the footage, right. processing it, presenting it. Uh-huh. Business side of it, I'm like. Just, you're on to the next thing, right? Like, that's exactly. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like when ninety percent of your time is that—the yeah. collecting and the presenting. Right. Then the ten percent is trying to. Right. Okay. How do how do I? Oh, how do I monetize? Oh, okay. I got to go Don't do something else. Now. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also you like you have a day job and all the other stuff and life and a wife and all the other yeah. stuff, right? It's not just like precisely you know, twenty four yeah. hours in a day just doing photography. Precisely. Uh, what's coming up? What's next? Is there anything big stuff you have coming up this fall and towards the end of the year? I'm. Uh I don't have anything planned yet. I'm just, I mean, the storm season still, it's just not quitting here. So um, I'm just crazy. I'm just getting out. Still going. I know. I'm just getting out as much as I can. I was hoping to get out to the desert Southwest because they got that monsoon going on right now. Yeah. And I wanted to make that an annual thing, um, but I don't think it's going to work out. Um, I have an opportunity, a really good opportunity, if I can make it happen to go international in December but um, it's uh, a lot of things have to come together for that so uh, yeah and uh, other than that I am I got an exciting prospect with uh, an atmospheric scientist group who I could perhaps next early next spring be part of a research program which has me absolutely thrilled to the bones. <laughs> if it comes together, yeah. it will be something that, um, yeah, it would be the best thing to have happened to me in a long That's time. Awesome. So, well, there's so much out there that, like, you know, the majority of the people in the city, in the world, whatever it is, they don't get to see, like we said earlier, they don't get to see these dark, big, awesome skies. 
and they're not aware of what's actually out there as well. And like you said, when you do your research and you talk about the atmosphere and what's actually out there and the things that we're seeing, and then you hear the media talking about aliens and UAPs and all the other stuff, you're just like, I mean, there's a lot of shooting stars out there as well, guys. Like, you know, it's not, yeah. you know, but um, has any of that, have people asked you about that as well? Like, have you had any experiences, you know, do they ask you, hey, you're in the middle of nowhere in dark skies, like, what have you seen? Yeah, there's... A- to, to that point, I I, I kind of like to push, hey, we, we don't need to sensationalize here, guys. Yeah. There's some really neat, actual, real stuff happening. <laughs> like, look at this, look at this. Look yeah. at this. But as far as me seeing anything, I did, um, I, I hadn't seen anything really in, unexplainable in seven years. I did see a bright orange light actually one time in Canada mm-hmm. where... We're over towards the Rocky Foothills where there shouldn't have been any aircraft or anything, but who knows, I guess. But it it was something very unusual, moving slowly away from me, an orange light went over the mountains. I don't know what that was. Um, Will we ever find out? Probably not. Need little mystery. We'll go with that. Um, And then when I was in the Pacific uh, earlier in the year here, I did see something. I caught it on a camera, something fast, like... Yeah flying lower than the clouds, very fast, bright streak uh, that I can't explain. Yeah. Another thing, we'll probably never find out exactly what it was, but uh, yeah, so I'm always, I'm always curious. I'm always looking out for stuff like that. I'm actually really, really trying to, um, well, I can't really say trying because you, you can't forecast, but ball, sure. ball lightning. Yeah. Uh-huh. I really want to focus in on that because it, it, I'm getting to the point in my mind now that I, I think there was a time I didn't think it was real. And now I'm kind of swaying more towards the, hey, there's so much neat stuff out there. I, I guarantee, I, I'm, I'm sure it happens. It's just so rare that it's not, you know, we're not seeing it that much. So I'm in talks with a couple of really uh, high atmospheric scientists who they're like, this is the direction we're, we're kind of researching now. So that's, I really want to see if I can capture ball lightning. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, like, is there like a hot spot? Do you know where roughly it happens or could it be anywhere? There's two things that run through my mind when I think about it. So I think you're kind of looking for sandy environments. Okay. Okay, because it's got to like interact with the ground and the silicon. That's one theory of how the lightning hitting sandy sure. sandy environment. And I'm also drawn towards these really, really powerful, you can get these really powerful positive lightning strikes mm-hmm. with a very, very rare. And I've... I captured a transient luminous event that's called an ELF. Okay. Uh, people have to go look at my page. It's hard to describe, but yeah. it's very, very high up. It's basically on the edge of space, uh, the ionosphere. And it's like an EMP electromagnetic pulse from a particularly strong lightning strike. Like we're talking about 15, 20 times stronger than a yeah. regular bolt, right? Very, very uncommon. Maybe one in every... 5,000 volts or something yeah. like that. Just I just pulled that number out, That's, but yeah. very uncommon. Very, very, yeah. So if that, I, I caught this thing called the ELF in the upper atmosphere. Um, out of all hours I've looked, I haven't, I've caught maybe a handful, but this one in particular was very, very banded, very, very um, interesting. 
So it just gets me thinking, well, what could be happening on the ground with such a powerful bolt? I think that could be somewhere maybe that you might get right. something like ball lightning. I, I don't know. Perhaps. Yeah. Will we ever, it's another thing, will we ever find out? I don't know. Because yeah. you can't forecast exactly where a big, super powerful bolt of lightning is going to hit right. <laughs> at a time. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, we're just not there yet. So, um, it's just, a, it's just going to be one of those things, I think, if we just spend enough time, get enough people researching, looking in the right places, then I think we might get lucky. Yeah. But will that happen in my lifetime? I don't know. <laughs> well, that's what keeps you going, right? That's what kind of keeps you, you know, chasing and keeps, keeps you excited about, um, you know, going out there every day. And, and like I said, when you tie into, you know, like scientific stuff as well, like this stuff's got a lot of meaning. It's not just you taking photos yeah. in the dark on your own in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> driving yes. 4,000 miles somewhere, you know, 2,000 yeah. out, 2,000 back kind of thing. Like it's, you know, it's, it obviously excites you and it's something that, you know, it, it's something that means a lot to you, right? And it's, yeah. you know, we've all got to find a hobby and make it, you know, and if you make a little difference as well, that, that's, you know, oh, I find something that, you know, opens people's eyes to certain things. And like I said, these, these sprites, like it's, I'd never seen them before I saw your photos mm. and I had no idea what they were, mm -hmm. you know? And then, you know, you look at them, you're like, wow, like that's so cool. And I can see why a lot of people think they're fake because they look like, they look like, you know, streams of jellyfish in the sky. Yeah. And they're red, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's, um, that's awesome. Super cool. And then when you explain the size, when you're like, hey, that's that's the size of, like, Dallas metro area. It's, it's just, people are just like, <laughs> Gone. Right? Absolutely gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, mate, I appreciate you coming in. It's been a pleasure. Um, dive, through your, dive through your story and, and kind of, you know, just a little bit of context into what people see on Instagram. Um, for people yeah. listening, I'll put the link to your Instagram and YouTube in the description. It's uh, Paul M. Smith at, uh, yeah, at Paul M. Smith Photography on Instagram. And um, yeah, go check it out. And if you want to go do a workshop, they can go to the website and I'll put that link as well. Um, SpriteChaser.com, is that right? Yes. Yeah, SpriteChaser.com. And if you want to get out into the middle of nowhere and see these red things, um, I'd highly recommend it. I need to get on the list. So it'd be awesome. But Paul, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming down. I really appreciate it. Um, for people listening, we will catch you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el reno now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, 
um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever. I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffyFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffyFordLincoln. This episode is brought to you by Hope is Alive. Hope is Alive exists to radically change the lives of drug addicts, alcoholics, and those who love them. Join us Saturday, September 30th for our Sobriety Sprint 5K as we remember, honor, and celebrate those who've lost their lives. This family-focused event will feature a one-mile fun run, inflatables, food trucks, and more. Register to run or honor a loved one at sobrietysprint.com. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.